All right. Okay. You are Sarah McNally. Have you had ample like, caffeine and food today? I haven't had enough caffeine, but Would I did like eat. Just... No, I ate a big chocolate bar, though. So I'm okay. Thank you. So those were like mutually contradictory pieces of information. You were like, I have had enough liquid caffeine, but I've I've supplemented it with solid caffeine. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. So you don't need any coffee or anything, because no. we have a cafe. We could just dash up. No, no, I, I want to get as much of you as I can. Okay. Maybe. You don't know yet. I don't, no. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. You've been sending mixed messages to me. Really? Yeah. It's not that I'm sending mixed messages. It's right now I'm under construction in two different projects, essentially. Okay. So, like, the barrage of email is so extraordinary. Uh -huh. And I'm operating on so many different levels at all times. I'm, like, you know, I'm doing cash flow management. I'm doing interior design. I'm doing construction management. I'm doing book buying. I'm doing but you're stationary not doing, buying. But you're not doing delegating. I do only delegate, almost, except when it comes to matters of design and construction management. I okay. delegate most everything or else I would be a complete disaster and I don't delegate my email I keep thinking I'm always <laughs> always saying to Courtney that I need someone to impersonate me online meaning just take over my email account and be a civilized person because my I, I don't respond to so many emails unless I've noticed if people email me Sundays I tend to reply <laughs> I want me to reply I don't know if you want to have that on <laughs> <laughs> on record. On record. But I think that those are the days that the least I can actually. That's sure. the day I almost feel like a human being rather than sort of the scent, like the vortex of a tornado. And so I, I, I respond to people as a human being. So it's not that it was a mixed message. It's just that I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed with email right now and have not yet figured out how properly to delegate my email since, since my my job does take place on some different planes, it's, yeah. it's hard for me to think how somebody could support, and an email is sort of the place where all of those planes meet in one like wh horrifying howl, um, and it's unclear how I could delegate that part of my job, but I'm, I'm going to, f that is that is that is one thing I will do. So you were contacting me through the one part of my job that I haven't really delegated, which is email, so it wasn't mixed messages exactly. Anyhow, but so I'm glad that you're revealing yourself to me like this. this is this, is, is this the podcast? Have we begun? This is a good start, oh, yeah. Good. So you're the owner? Yep. Sole owner? Yep. What are the rents like these days? Um, different stores, different rents. Um, the rent in the store was city. I mean, there's seven stores that I have. In? New York. New York. Um, I can't imagine opening outside of New York because I love it here and don't love travel. So I've always um, dismissed out of city offers out of hand. Although the rents are so cheap out of out yeah. in other places. I mean, even when I have my colleagues complain about rents in Boston or D.C. or California, and then they tell me what the rents actually are, I think, Phew, it's nothing. Although I do believe that the rents here will start coming down. What? I believe it's going to happen. Because retail is on its knees and is, like, continuing to be pummeled by various things. And there, there hasn't been anything that has um, mediated the situation for us. And the only, the only thing that could possibly give, I mean, we, it's not like retail can force people to stop buying yeah. online. It's not like retail can um, adjust the costs of labor. It's not like retail can even adjust its margins largely. The only thing that can possibly give would be rent. But isn't, isn't it just continuing to go up because demand is there from offshore and other places. Well, that is for um, residential, which I'm not talking about. Were you asking about res my, my no, residential no. House, housing? Uh, I wasn't, but I'd be happy to go there. <laughs> yeah, so this it's, it's interesting. I have two stores that are in 
developments that are larger. The one I'm building one right now with um, a developer called Acadia that's under construction. It will be the biggest store, and they've been wonderful to work with. And they can sort of work a bookstore into their larger project because they're looking at their revenue as, you know, mixed residential and retail, mm -hmm. and they look at a bookstore partly as an amenity to yeah. the residential and then partly as a revenue stream in its own right but they've their deal is a kind of a much more percentage a percentage of revenue deal so we take the risk together and we will profit together if the store if the store works and plus you bring people to the destination you're sure. a destination right so there's there's so working with developers you know perhaps we should close the store yeah i'll do that I, I'll do it because it's, oh, it's a process, but um, it won't, it won't move. Shoes. Oh, fuck. What? I don't know. Does that help or not really? Should yeah, I move? it's okay. It's, I, I can move these boxes for you. I told you I should have done it. Actually, wait a minute. Look at all that. Yeah, yeah. actually what? Oh, oof. Ah. Oh. Oh. Ah. Okay. Ah. Okay. That's why you're in such good shape. Do I look like a good shape? You do, yeah. I'm thin, which is different than being a good shape. Oh, uh, okay. And one I'm not thin. One yeah. is genetic. Everyone in the family is thin. Okay. I'm completely lightheaded from doing that. <laughs> First time my blood has moved in days. I think lightheaded's going to be good. Better than heavy headed. That is true. Heavy headed is a horrible feeling. Yeah. Oh. Um. So you're expanding, which is which is this is exciting. This is really for bibliophiles. I I love to hear this. Maybe we'll see. I mean, it's that means you're profitable. All more of our, so than all of our stores are profitable. More so than ever. Not more so than ever. Um, this store, the rent just went up massively, so this store is less profitable than ever. But I. That's what I was asking about the rent. Yeah, this store is, was very hard hit by a rent hike, um, but it's it's but we'll scrape through. Every new store I open, I I don't want to open any more stores. I can say that I can, and I that has been true for years. I do not want to open any more stores. I love my original store. I love being in the store. I love working with the booksellers in the store. But then what happens is I get seduced by a developer or a broker to go see a space, and then something just like something happens between me in the space that feels almost like the beginning of romantic love there's it's extremely similar and i can't help myself but to build it's all it's almost like procreate yes it's almost like procreation and so i i don't but then i have more stores and with every store that i every new store that i have i'm pulled further from the parts of the job that i actually enjoyed and because you don't want to be like a real estate manager or anything, or is that it? I mean, the job becomes much more about money, real estate, HR becomes a much less personal yeah. thing. I'm, I'm not on the floor anymore. There's something I love and all my stores being on the floor and talking to customers. Yeah. And it reminds me why I actually do what I do, which is from when I, and when I pull back and I'm thinking largely about money, construction and real estate, I can lose touch of what my... So what you really love doing is talking to people about books and station. I mean, I have stationery stores too, and I also, I also love talking. I mean, I was at you my mean beautifully printed paper. In other words, well, it depends. I mean, the stationery stores are they have 
thousands, tens of thousands of items, some of which are beautiful, some of which have beautiful papers, some of which don't. And I spoke to a woman yesterday in my 8th Street stationery store, and I was passing through because I finally designed my own journals, and they were putting, they were, yeah, they're nice. There's some there, I'll show you. The, uh, There's not much content in a notebook, though. It's, so it's, it is not as infinitely interesting as a book, but I, I do feel like if people respect, it, just like how, bo how books are, in a way, a demonstration of respect for your mind and thought and cultivation as a person, so is writing, things, writing and thinking yeah, and I, work. I, and I, I, love, I love writing in my notebooks. People do, and yeah. and when and I met a woman in my stationery store yesterday who came in and she had this particular notebook from Japan that I had found this company um, in uh, I was in Tokyo in a suburb of Tokyo in a beautiful little shop in the suburb of Tokyo and I found this one journal I said this is so beautiful could I could I sell this in my New York store and he said well it's just made by a man who lives in the country I can ask him if he'll make them for you and I got in touch with him and they we started we've been selling his notebooks for years and he just recently. Um, released a new style of notebook that's the paper's divine, especially if you use fountain pens. It's very smooth and it's just it's just a perfect little notebook for some people. It wouldn't be my notebook because I a soft cover. I would just I would, it would get eaten eaten by the other garbage in my bag. I'd, it would come out like a chewed up mess. But this woman had found it and said, "This is the first notebook I've ever bought." You know, I'm 55 years old. It's the first notebook I've ever bought that is the, that I've just loved. I buy notebooks all the time, and this one I've already filled one in three days. And I'm and she came back to buy three more. And so while it is empty, so certainly more finitely interesting than well, a book. Full of it's full of the individual's work that you're not a really privy to. Right. So I I, I love I love the stationery stores as well mm. and. And talking to her reminded me why I originally did the stationery store again, which was to um, mm. help people open up this space in their life of yeah. reading, of reading, writing, and contemplation. And so it's all very of a piece. I it's don't sell, and it's funny because most bookstores sell sidelines. They sell gifts. We don't do a single, a single gift or sideline, other than stationery, because I feel it is really, it's really of a piece with the core mission. And, and well, pens, I would hope. We've been at one of my stores is just pens and pencils. It's a whole pen store. <laughs> it's great. There's a store in Montreal called Nota Bene that I love. What is it? It's a stationery store that sells stationery and pens. Mm -hmm. It's a small little store. I think he brings in some of the most interesting lines from around the world mm -hmm. and pens, and mm -hmm. so you do the same thing. Yeah, it takes a lot of travel, which I have. I become. I've become increasingly averse to travel, mm. which is problematic. Um, just the pain of sitting on a plane and... The, I think it's the airports. Yeah. I find it demeaning. Especially taking off your shoes and belts and... The, uh, it's completely irrational and having to like watch millions of people be subject to these irrational idiotic behaviors and watching America export its irrational idiocies like to other countries who actually enforce those rules better than America does itself. Like it's you go to France or Germany and the people at the um, inspection are much more rigorous about the liquid and bag rules mm. than Americans mm -hmm. are, and it was a stupid American rule to begin with. That again they makes are? no sense. Yeah, the America exports these things, and they were stupid. No, what's so stupid about ensuring that a bomb doesn't show up on the plane? Yeah, you should ensure a bomb doesn't show up on a plane. Yeah. But having only X number of millimeters in a plastic bag does not actually does not actually do that. Okay. It's so absurd. It's just a power like taking trip. off your shoes because somebody once tried to light their toe on fire. For, and for now, I mean, tens and hundreds of millions of people taking off their shoes every year. It's <laughs> irrational. And so I don't, I don't know. The whole thing is just I, I find I find I've become averse to the entire. And then the waste and the plastic. I was just reading the other day. There's a, a, on average every passenger creates three pounds of garbage 
on every flight, then plus the carbon footprint. It's just, there's something just gross about air travel. So I'm becoming increasingly averse to tra air travel, mm. which is a problem for my stationary company, but I will somehow I'll overcome it. You could delegate someone else to travel. I did send someone instead of me to the Tokyo to the Japanese stationery show this year, and he was Japanese, got to see his family, so he was delighted. So it's interesting because once you once you have relationships with like stationery lines around the world, you can just keep ordering them, but you do have to check back and see what's new. It's a balance. Do you see your role as a bookseller to counter this sort of Trumpism, populism, brainless kind of politics? I think I believed in that more. I mean, I opened this store under Bush, Cheney, which was a very, very dark time in America. I mean, and at that point, I really did believe that if people read more, they would change the world. And it's funny, I was at my, my friend runs a New York Public Library store, and I was there visiting her and the other day, and she, they've created totes, and one of them is, says, I forget who said it, but think before you speak, read before you think. And I did. I like that. It was wonderful. And I did think when I opened the store, I, ha I did have a belief that if more people read, that it would create an incrementally better world. I, I, feel, I don't feel that as much anymore. And I do wonder, especially, I used to believe that if people read about different parts of the world, that it would open their minds, hearts, and perspectives. And I don't even know if I believe that anymore. And in do fact, they have to do travel there? I don't know. Or do they have to actually talk to people about the books they've read? I don't know the answer, but I, I do have a growing discomfort, which I hope is wrong. I hope I'm just being an idiot. But I do have a growing discomfort with the fact that most of the books that people read about groups of people who are outside of their normal everyday experience, whether it's people who are living in our own country in a very different way, or whether it's people who are living around the world in a different way, most of them are, these stories are so sad and heartrending that in a way I wonder if it actually makes Americans who read them, the kind of upper middle class Americans who read them, actually feel a little safe and smug and in fact distances them more from the people that I... So it's funny, I, my son and I just listened to the Trevor Noah audiobook when we, I just drove to, I'm Canadian, I just drove to Canada for Thanksgiving and we, I don't know why I drove, it was ridiculous, but because of my aversion to air travel, I drove mm -hmm. eight hours. But I drove down to Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. From Montreal. Oh, yeah. that's, that's kind of a nice one. And then, and then just took the train in. Yeah. And then took the train. Yeah. So where did you drive to? Toronto. Saskatoon? And, no, I drove to Toronto and then to Hamilton. Okay. But anyway, we listened to Trevor Noah's audiobook and the thing he wrote about growing up in South Africa, first under apartheid and then kind of hanging out in the townships. And the thing that was delightful about it is he didn't he didn't try and play up the more um, the more emotionally sympathetic parts of the story. He just told the story as people and living their lives in a, in a different way. And because he's a comedian, he, he, he played up the comic aspects of it. It was mm -hmm. delightful. And I wish more books. That book, a book like Trevor Noah's book, I think, does act could actually change the world. And it sold well over a million copies. And I think there's been more than a million audio down, downloads of it. How can it change the world? How? Because that is a book that instead of actually making Americans feel kind of smug and safe and, phew, thank God I live here and not wherever it might be, yeah. um, it, it just opens up the world in... in humorous way and also in a in a relatable in a way that it, it makes people feel like they're somewhat in control it makes people in south africa feel like they're in control, control of their own lives where so many of these stories around the world it's just people buffeted by horrible winds of horrible mm -hmm. fate mm -hmm. that make their lives 
untenable and make the rest of the world, I think, seem scarier and sadder and more horrible than it actually is. The world is, you can live anywhere and have a beautiful, rich, funny life with a clever, funny mother, or whatever it might be. And the, and so many of the novels we read make the world out actually to be a hellhole that we're... But isn't the whole American dream about imposing your will on the world and, quote, succeeding? I don't, I don't follow the connection. Oh, you're saying that, that, that so many of these stories are where people are buffeted around without having any sense of control. Mm -hmm. And that it makes Americans feel, what, ice, not Happily smug, isolated, but, and yeah. perhaps smug, and but, happily isolated from the hellhole of the rest of the planet. Right. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the best but, way to make a better... You said, do, do I think literature can change the politics here at home mm. and I don't think that that I don't think that a lot of the literature that is published from around the world and that does succeed necessarily does that okay so what would I mean, the, do that the way uh, the way Trevor Noah but I Trevor Noah did but the way forward is clearly through mutual respect between whatever parties come to whatever table it might be whether it's mm. domestic or international and we just are we're seeing the opposite of that in I'm the, seeing in the, the opposite public, of uh, mm -hmm, I'm seeing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, but I, I, I do hope, I do hope clearly, I mean, that was that reading would create a better world and it, that was my, that was my opening mission and it remains part of my mission, but I'm less kind of blindly convinced of it than I was when I opened the first door when I was 29 years old. What's the big mission now then? Or is there one? Well, my mission has become much more civic I think I I've, it's it's much more about my relationship with this city and opening up public spaces in this city that are intellectual and real and deep and true and communal and as I've lived in New York that's something that has because of the rents have gone insane in the 15 years that I've been in business that space has been has been corroded very much and mm -hmm. so I do now see what I do as much more a gift to the city and I don't know if that makes a better, I mean, better, I, I don't think that I'm contributing to national politics, but I do think that I am making my city, my city a better, better city. Better place, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, which opens the question, why doesn't the city do what they do in France and acknowledge the, the, this, the, uh, the work that you're doing by helping you to cope with these ridiculous rents? Well, you mean the you mean the um, commercial rent system in France is wonderful, and you and well, and just the way the government helps booksellers particularly mm -hmm. and to all retailers. thrive, and all retailers, so that landlords. Mm. I mean, here it's the opposite. There's some very simple things that the city could do. If you walk around New York, you'll be stunned by the number of vacancies. There's not any in Nolita, but most of the city, the vacancy rates are they're overwhelming. You walk down a block and it's vacant, 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 vacant because the rents are so high. You walk down Paris and there's no vacancies at all. Mm. And the retail, there's a lot of independent retail and it's vibrant and um, it's one of the reasons why Paris is like the number one tourist attraction in the world. And here, if a landlord has a vacant space, they can claim their asking rent as a loss against their taxes. It's insane. So they've got a strong lobby that have enabled them to do that. They do. Um, they do have a strong lobby and there was there's been something on the books called the SBJSA the Small Business Job Survival Act and they tried to get me to sign on and speak about it and I looked into it and I thought it was so ridiculous I, I said I can't be part of it the whole thing was that they wanted the city to legally mandate mediation at the time of lease renewals on commercial leases non-binding mediation and I thought 
So I can sit down with my landlord who wants a million dollars a year and I want to pay $500,000 a year. We have non-binding mediation and he still wants a million dollars a year. Mm. What does that do? Non-binding, <laughs> what's the use of it? What is the use of it? And have the money, the city throw money at paying mediators to do this. It seems completely absurd. But in any event, the yeah. uh, I, I do think that the city will... Do you think there's there's room for some kind of movement, or is this just uh, because this is the United States, this would never happen? I don't know. I do think there is room for improvement. I haven't seen anything moving yet. Because you're a cultural institution. Mm hmm It is interesting, the cultural institutions, there are, there are very few that are for profit anymore. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that if New York continues to lose have so much vacancy, which I can't imagine they won't do. I just there's not a single there's not a single trend going in favor yeah, yeah. of retail. And my friends in restaurants are also there are also struggling. So yeah. since there's not a single trend going in favor of retail, and we have far more retail space on the market than we ever did because developers there's a, been an enormous building boom in New York, and they're mandated to make in certain zones to make the the ground floor retail mm. so we said the market is being flooded with new retail spaces while retail is retreating something will change whether rents go on go down or the government will because so much is put on the retailer in new york city like i'm we pay like we pay the taxes for our building essentially retailers tend to pay a, yeah. a, an enormous share of real estate tax and we have to keep the sidewalks clean until 12 inches into the gutter that's on the storefront so as soon as you have vacant storefronts there's no cleaning the sidewalk there's homelessness on the sidewalk in front of it so that the city is incentivized to keep retailers thriving and mm. as our landlords eventually incentivized to keep retail going so i do think something will shift we shall see mm. i mean i'm interested because i plan to move this store in five years because the rent is so high and also because i made two reasons the rent is very high three reasons the second reason is that this neighborhood has become so mobbed by tourists, and my store is essentially not a tourist store. It's um, I don't sell regulars, you've got regulars I, that come in, and right? It's, it's a store for readers. I mean, we don't sell like New York paraphernalia. You can't buy key rings, or you know, we, we're a store for people who love books. And I mean, the Strand has converted itself very beautifully into a bookstore that's great for tourists. And I go there sometimes and I think, man, Nancy is so smart how she has made this a tourist attraction that's rooted in books still, but has all these other profit cha channels through yeah. Last time I was gift. there, I saw these tiny little hands, little Trump hands for sale. Right. And we and so that's great for tourists. They can come to New York at the store. But I, I, that's not the store that I run. And it's just not the store I run. Perhaps I could, but it's not my dream to no, run that store. Well, I, I do something different. I try and do a deep backlist store mm. that people can come in and get so if um, it's not profit what is it that that drives well, you then well it is i said she has multiple profit channels yeah i mean it is still i have to stay in business but i'm, I'm driven by books magazines and stationery is all i sell so I, yeah. we're not an easy tourist store unless especially a store like this you have to sort of learn how to use it because the backlist is so deep and organized that mm. you don't just walk in and the first book you, we have for example our literature section is organized by region and you're not going to walk in and think what is interesting and new in Algerian fiction but once you've been using a store like this store for a couple of years you'll have went you'll have wended your way back through the tables through the shelves to start exploring deeper more interesting unusual subjects so you've got stuff on the shelf that won't sell right away but well, but it's there it's it's diverse it's it will sell right away to a customer who's been using me 
using the store for years, but it won't sell right away to a customer who's walked in for the first time. So yeah. it doesn't make it a very tourist accessible shop. It's yeah. a shop you have to learn how to use. And I hope that we will continue to support readers on their journey as they as they deepen their reading life. And so we're not really a tourist neighborhood, and we've, we're now stranded in an enormous tourist neighborhood. So that on the weekends, I mean, people who do leave, live here leave because there's just crowds of people yeah. eating. There's a famous pizza place. I've never had it because I'm a vegetarian, but it's like a pepperoni pizza. So there's pepperoni pizza and millions of people. And it's become... Yeah, cars are just jamming the street all the time. Yeah, yeah and when I moved here, Nolita was, it was like a very charming, very empty village, and it was sort of perfect, and it was much more amenable to readers, and this is a store really for readers. Right. And so I think I need to move this... So the first reason is my rent is hella high. Second reason is this is a store for readers far more than a store for tourists. And the third reason is I built the store when I was 29 years old. I didn't know what I was doing and I made a lot of mistakes and it's very hard and expensive to fix a store that's built. It's very hard. Yeah. You mean really just physically? Physically, like if I was to move the shelves where I'd like the shelves, the I built the store so quickly in three months that the flooring was put in after some of the shelves so I might pick up a shelf and then there's no wood floor underneath it. It's just it's very hard to actually build the store as it should be. And so how so should the store be? Oh, there's a million little things, and I, they're visual. I think it'd be very hard for me, and boring to anyone but me. I mean, I'm moving my stores all the time. I'm just, I mean, I opened one store a month and a half ago, and I've just completely redrew the layout last night, and I'm changing everything. I'm putting a massive order into my carpenter today to change things. I'm but interested in what you're doing to sell books. Like, I uh, interviewed James Daunt, I mentioned to you uh, mm -hmm. a while back, and he yeah. said book selling is really visual mm -hmm. so in other words he even what, what he does is or his people do is they they borrow each other's glasses so that they can't really see clearly so that's out of focus so they see the colors as opposed wow. to the titles and the colors are really important wow do you do anything like that no no I've never chosen or put a book somewhere based on color I don't think I mean, it sounds like a decorator, but it's yeah. a, it's a selling technique that no, apparently works. And it, and and it it can be a problem. Like one of a publisher that my booksellers really love is called Fitzgeraldo Editions. Mm -hmm. Their co covers are all just white and blue. If it's I think if it's fiction, it's white with blue t blue font, and if it's nonfiction, it's blue with white font. No, it's the opposite. If it's fiction, it's blue with white font. Okay. Nonfiction, white with blue font, and they are difficult to display because they don't cue the reader about mm -hmm. anything and then mm -hmm. there's something we just did something because we're turning 15 on December 4th and we did a list of the top 100 selling books of the last 15 years from your co from company my store yeah and it's been it was wonderful I mean, it and what was, was the, what was the number one just kids by Patty Smith number two was my brilliant friend and number three was um, what is that book called it's a Simone de Beauvoir the book with two novellas Hmm. I should remember we sold many, many thousands of copies. Hmm. That's that's wild. But the reason is, is Peter Mendelssohn. I don't know if you've ever. You should speak to Peter Mendelssohn. He's a genius. But he is he is, the book designer. He well, he was a book designer. He's yeah. also a novelist and an essayist. And now he's a creative director of the Atlantic. And he's got his second novel is coming out from FSG. And um, his first novel was from Knopf. He's extraordinary. But he designed the cover of this Simone de Beauvoir novel and he did this crazy it's this fuchsia book with these green lips with a cigarette hanging out of them and there's simply no way that we could have sold it would be our number three best-selling book a Simone de Beauvoir collection of when he took when he redesigned that book he pulled it out of the backlist it was about to go out of print and he went to 
his like the his publisher at Knopf and said I'd like to redesign this book and he saved it from being out of print and now it's one of the best-selling books in the history of the store because of the cover so it's, it's I'm not saying covers are irrelevant um, wow but because there's some school that says that because social media now is stronger than ever mm -hmm. that it's as, it's more much more to do with content and people listening to podcasts mm -hmm. and hearing about books mm -hmm. and then going in and buying them rather mm -hmm. than it's a combination I'm sure but I, I don't know if it's if social media has made people less interested in covers you can post them on Instagram too which you know so that maybe compensates for it I don't know I mean, the tragedy for me in social media taking a larger role in determining book sales is that criticism, I mean, criticism, like including music and film, all art criticism, but literary criticism also, has, it's really retreated out of the it culture has. in a way that I find agonizing. And the style of reviews has changed very much so that the style in which books are reviewed is um, less engaged with the literary world and more engaged often with the personal life of the reviewer so yeah. it seems yeah. almost like a review of a book is like half memoir half half review of how the book itself interacted with the reviewers autobiography who cares about that, except yeah, for the people must mother. do people must do because it's the, certainly it's yeah. certainly changing the tenor of criticism yeah it's like uh, james wood was big news about 10 years ago yes. and uh, and I used to blog a lot about him and mm -hmm. there were lots of other people that mm -hmm. did. He's and a was, good critic. Yeah, but it's interesting though that he seems to have receded. In, Everyone. I don't see him anywhere near as often it doesn't mm. seem. That's interesting. But and then it, the, the pay, it's, it, the, there's so many fewer book reviews in general. The pay for criticism, like for book reviews has gone down so much that most of the good critics that I know have had yeah. to pick up side hustles yeah. to some degree and it's so like, the social media is, has changed that, and I think that when you when you read a good book review, I mean the the reviewer has read the entire oeuvre of the author, and mm. it's it, it can be I mean it still they happened. They contextualize it for you. Contextualize it in the history of letters and in the history of that writer's work, and mm. now it seems like books are contextualized in the reviewer's life largely, mm. mm -hmm. and social media is obviously even more. <laughs> guilty Doing of that. that exact thing yeah. and um in in any event i i uh i don't i'm not a big social media person and that is one of the weaknesses of my stores is that our social media presence is very minimal and not that great and you i just don't i guess you don't know if if it's going to sell you more books or not also, I'm not personally on it. I don't personally like it. I'm not yeah. sure what we're supposed to be doing on Instagram. I look at mm. other bookstores, and it's like their bookstores well, having you, a great old time. And but you know what it is, though. I mean, for for me as a collector, it's sort of sharing my finds. Collectors love to share their collection, so posting pictures of what I just scored. Mm -hmm. That's how I like to use it. That's nice. That's but, really nice. Yeah. And who do you imagine is looking at it? Well, other collectors, other people, and there's not that many, I don't think, but it's people who appreciate uh, book design or the importance of a certain edition. It's just, uh, but it's it's a kind of fun when you find someone who's who's just as gaga as you are, and That's they. That's nice. Yeah. That there's so this, you know, it's not all negative. Of That's course. a nice version. Yeah. I, I I have an Instagram account. I started it when my son was young, and I did it mostly just to post pictures of him from my extent like my cousins essentially my extensive family yeah. in Canada yeah. and then I Jasper my son got older and I realized that 
really people aren't that interested in other people's children's pictures. I mean, it's something you think when your child is young, then you get older and you think, okay, everyone has kids, they're all great. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that interesting. And so when I had that rather obvious revelation, I basically stopped posting that my cousins didn't care. And nor did I, although I love them and their children, I'm not that interested in seeing their children smiling at a country fair either. And so I retreated from it and I've never found, but I'm not a collector. But you're a book lover though. And if you really love a book, it's kind of cool to to tell people about it. Yeah, and it'd be interesting. That is something actually I would like to use. I could use social media for because one thing I I'm not a reviewer. I think that I've been thinking a lot about what my next career will be because I don't think, again, I mean my life is so much about money and real estate now. I mean since I before I met you this morning at ten fifteen, I just I I spoken and emailed almost exclusively about real estate to yeah. various people. Yeah. And so I'm thinking this is I'm not gonna do this the rest of my life. I've got I want this is not my this is not my dream. Um my dream mm. is really to get closer to books. And I think that is that is what I would love to do with the rest of my life is actually be a critic. Mm. And which I, I, I mean if I thought book selling was a dying industry I would really <laughs> book selling is thriving it's, it's for really gonna, I don't think it'll but, ever die. I mean yeah. you could, you, I mean it's you, basically it's basically unpaid now. It's unpaid. That's that's <laughs> what. In fact, that's why I don't have too much competition, because um, I- if it was paid, then there'd be a bunch of people in this looking at the book uh-huh. uh, space. Uh-huh. It'd be crowded, but it's not because because no one's willing to pay for it. Right. It's interesting when I sit down to actually write about a book mm. that I've read. It changes my relationship with the book and. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The connections that I would never have otherwise. I love it. And it stays with you too, much longer if you've done that. Much longer. I remember the first sort of, I remember years ago, my ex-husband Chris Jackson and Lauren Stein, who was not then running the Paris Review, and I, Lauren, came to this idea that he wanted to do some kind of book, like, criticism. I forget what the idea was. And we all wrote an inaugural criticism, and I chose a book that I didn't actually like that much when I read it, which I'm not going to name now because no. it's not a bookseller's job to say what books they don't like. But then in sitting and writing the review... Isn't it? Why wouldn't you steer people away from crappy books? I mean, there's, you can do that subtly. Okay. <laughs> no. There's many ways to do that by just not putting it in their face. Yeah. And I also know this author. She's a nice person. Okay. In any event. But yeah. but in sitting and writing the review, I, I, my admiration for the book grew. Yes. I think that almost universally happens. Not all like I think Andy Warhol's A. I think A to B and back again. It's oh. just A. It's his novel. Oh, his novel. Sorry. I would, uh, regardless of how much time you spent with that, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. It's funny. I said something like that similar, similar to what I just said to you to Sasha Fair Jones. I don't remember. He used to be the music critic for the New Yorker, and and he said, yes, that can happen. You can sit down and you can. The more you think about it, you can like it, or the opposite can happen. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your hatred can grow. Your disrespect can grow the more you think about the. Um, I mean, I think that that might happen more with non-fiction. Yeah. Um, I think that might ha- like he was talking about Jess Rao's book, White Flights, which he said the more he thought about it, the more angry, the more he disliked it, the more yeah. angry it angry. made him. Yeah, angry. Yeah, I, 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 mm-hmm. there's a book of poetry uh, that came out in Canada that won the Griffin Prize, Poetry mm-hmm. Prize. Mm-hmm. It, the more I read that, the more angry <laughs> I got, especially Poor after, especially after it won that prize. <laughs> You, you mentioned Canada. Could you tell me about Saskatoon? Um, yes. Because there's a McNally Robinson bookstore in Saskatoon. Yeah. Jeff is going to join us. Sorry, I'm just checking my sure. texts. Okay. Um, Saskatoon. I didn't grow up in Saskatoon. I grew up in Winnipeg. 
Okay. Um, which I, to the outside eye might not seem like a huge difference, but when you're in the know, it's pretty different. Well, I um, think Winnipeg is more of a vibrant... Uh, much larger. It's larger. Yeah, even yeah. Not to put Saskatoon down. It's, it's got Smaller. Yeah. They're both about 40 below in the wintertime. Yeah, it's a little bit trying. windier in Winnipeg, perhaps. Yeah, they both have very trying climates. Winnipeg may have more bugs. Winnipeg is really mm, blighted, yeah. blighted by bugs. It's very hard. I mean, the 40 below in the winter and then the blight of bugs all through the summer. Every month has its own bug blight. They got a good uh, used bookstore there called Bison Books that I like. Bison, yeah. Antiquarian, yeah. She's a very nice woman. Yeah, it's nice. I, I, I want to name... No, it was my ex-husband wanted to name my son Bison. Ah. <laughs> it was so weird. I said, why? In mean, any event. The, okay. But it is, the, it is the provincial animal of Manitoba. Yeah. Winnipeg is. Yeah. You grew up there, and then you spent a bit of time in Saskatoon. And then I spent a bit of time in Saskatoon. So is there a, a, a McNally Robinson in Winnipeg as well, or not? Mm -hmm. So my mom started it. My mom started oh. the Robinson in Winnipeg oh. when I was very young. I mean, six, five? Are you with a Jeff? Oh, is Jeff here? He can come in. Oh, good. Now we can talk about the nonprofit. Jeff is yes. he just converted to nonprofit. Oh, did he? Yeah. Do you want to quickly speed read his letter before he comes in? Comes in? Nope. No chance. You can't speed read. Hello. Come on in. Hi. Your offices look this shitty. I don't have an office. Okay. Well, this is so mine. Is. I used to have an office. I moved the walls. This used to be my office back here. The wall used to be here. And Courtney and I used to sit back there and be happy all day. And then I somehow renovated myself out of an office. And now Courtney sits there alone. That's the way to do it. Really? Get yourself out of an office. It's, no, it's the opposite. I realized that if I had an office, all my problems would be solved. <laughs> I'm serious. All of them. The office is the whole city. Yeah. No, it's not. Because I'm natively disorganized with extreme ADD. And I realized that I, if I don't have things physically in front of me, there's simply no way that I could ever remember or keep track of anything. Because having to like reinvent my life every morning, it's almost impossible. I mean, I have my to-do books, but it's not the same. And if I had an office, I could have stacks. Anyhow, Nigel, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Nice to meet you. So good to see nice you. Nice to see you. I'm so glad we're doing this. I mean, this is cool, too. I mean, this is super bizarre, but... Um, well, okay, we were talking about bisons talking. and uh, mosquitoes and Winnipeg and rents. Yeah, all stuff super relevant to you. You actually must have mosquitoes in Chicago. There are mosquitoes, mm. for sure. So You've moved recently, the, 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 the store. Six years ago. Is that recent in your terms, or...? Um, it's a 60-year-old bookstore, so yeah. I don't know. We also uh, transitioned to a not-for-profit last week, two weeks ago. The letter was very impressive, very well written. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. How did how did that work, if you're willing to share? Of course. Well, it's a long story, because I would have to explain how uh, we were initially set up, which is, frankly, <laughs> a very boring story. I don't corporate think anyone structure. really cares. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's decidedly not corporate structure. It's a bunch of students, seminary students, in 1961, deciding that they need cheap books, so they're going to leverage their purchasing power to get obscure books cheaply. And that's how it was structured as a cooperative. And you put, uh, I, I've been there once, oh, yeah. and of course I love the, the lines on the floors. Oh, so you haven't been to the new space? I haven't been to the new space. Come no. visit. So there's you no, and Sarah both. There's Come no visit. lines on the floors, though. Or are there? There are no lines on the floors. Yeah, that that's that was a big draw for me. What well, were they? What were the lines? They were just to get you around. It's not much different from because it was house. like underground. There were yeah. pipes overhead, and you, if you wanted to find literary criticism, 
you had to look at say the the yellow or the red and then you just follow it like a subway line until mm -hmm. you got to the that's so uh, charming why yeah did, why did you drop very that charming well it's a completely new space i've seen pictures yeah so we um stanley tigerman and margaret mccurry stanley died a few months ago uh we're longtime shareholders and their vision their architectural vision is what we followed and it is choice for that space Honors the history, replicates the the sense of getting Not lost right. among the books and uh, not being able to find your way. Everything is in some sort of disorder. Uh, and <laughs> it is. It is, but it it must it must succeed in selling books. Well, we lose a quarter million dollars a year, so it depends <laughs> on your depends on your definition of success. Okay, so, uh, but it succeeds in creating uh, world class <laughs> browsing experiences of which there are very few, and this store is one of them, and even just wandering down here and trying to find my way. You guys, I, whatever you all do, is, it's really special. It's interesting, so I just opened a store a month and a half ago, and I realized I completely screwed it up. It's so beautiful, the store I opened. It's really, really beautiful, but it's filled with seating. I, just, I, d I wanted to make it just a place where people could come and feel almost like a hugged by the mm. store. And I've realized that putting in too much seating completely dissipated the buying energy. Mm. Mm. It's a little heartbreaking. So I've got to take a bunch of the seating out and put in tables. I, w I walked around at the stores where I was like, who are the stores that are like, really know how to make money? And I went to the Strand and I was like, oh, shit, they do nothing but tables. They mm -hmm. don't have a single seat in the entire store. So it's mm -hmm. table, table, table. And I went to Barnes & Noble, which admittedly still makes money actually. Mm -hmm. They just, I, I think somehow they don't put it back into the stores. It just goes to the, shareholders instead of to the stores but it's the same thing they've eliminated everything other than table 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 there's right. no shelves and there's no seats <laughs> and, and that's because people like to pick something up that they can look at the face of it and seems the most rational mm -hmm. explanation yeah can, i can't think of another can you <laughs> we have i mean our tables are essentially pull people into the stacks. I mean, they exist. That's what I do. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what, what I do. So, so this is like a taste of what's, what's yeah, representative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Look at that coffee mug. That's it's not, it looks like mold, but it's because I drink matcha. It's so disgusting. It's like there's wonderful. nothing like an old mug with matcha in it. This is his, he gave this to me. Ah, okay. But don't look in. It's so, it just, it's not, <laughs> everything since I started drinking matcha, it looks like I drink from moldy mugs. What, <laughs> is, what is matcha? What? That's something that a New Yorker would drink. Yeah. Okay. Something a New Yorker would drink. So now you know what to do if you want to look like a New Yorker. <laughs> I gotta just get a photo, if that's all right. You may. Um, so, yeah, we went not-for-profit, and we went not-for-profit because we're not here to sell books. You're here unlike, to... Unlike you're here to provide a browsing, browsing experience? The product is the browse. The browse. Because you can buy books anywhere. Now, I love booksellers cool. who can make money, and I love booksellers who do it intelligently. And you and I can both list off a dozen people off the top of our head nationally that we respect. And um, and our model is just so strange and unlikely that it required. And the co-op model makes no sense. I mean, could you imagine a mm -hmm. consumer-owned co-op mm -hmm. with fifty thousand plus members, mm -hmm. all of whom are supposed to, you know, ostensibly be paying dividends to? And we lose a quarter million dollars, so how do you figure out how to make that work? They each have to pay each in a certain pay. amount? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the model is really a recognition that 
most of us are in it, and I know just from our conversations that you're in it for the love of literature and wanting people to discover books that are not easily accessible elsewhere and that aren't featured elsewhere, and even just like wandering down here, the books that are on display here, it's like... Although it's not as extreme as you're like, my I had a friend who was just in your store, and I was like, tell me everything, because I've never been. And he said he felt almost guilty. He said there were books there that he was so happy to find. And that, like, he, yeah. for example, Edwin Frank had asked him to find some books to translate from the French. And he was like, you know, he felt like he'd almost made this story. There, there were books that were imported from Europe, books mm -hmm. that you, you could find nowhere else in America there. But he said he felt almost guilty because he was like, how many people like me are there in the yeah. Philippines? And it's like, who's going to buy these things? Right. Yeah. The browsing is the product. But you take so, your hat off to you for yeah. that because it's, it isn't driven by commerce. It's driven by yeah. a desire to provide the browser with all sorts of interesting stuff that they'd mm -hmm. never see anywhere else. Right. Well, it's a cultural work, but I think that for-profit bookstores do that same cultural work, and if you do it with the sensibility mm. creating that and you can make it work, I mean, you're just better at it than <laughs> we are. And, and we also yeah. do, we do a lot of uh, university presses and we go very deep yeah. on, on scholarly and, works. And, and when that you start doing difference. that, when you start going really deep on that stuff, your discount is negligible. It's negligible. And yeah. so there's simply, you can't sell a book when it, like a, the, those short discount university right. books, you can't sell them without losing money. Just yeah. the, the, yeah. the simple fact of like handling them, yeah. opening the box, you've lost yeah. money. Yeah. I did the math when I started uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, somehow stem the tide and uh, arrest the decline. And it was, <laughs> the fact is, is that we would have made more, the fewer books we sold, the better we oh, would have done, goodness. which is a, a ridiculous business model. What about used books like The Strand? I go there because of their third floor. It's I'm, the best floor there. I'm a collector, mm. but I love, I just love the hunt. I love the fact that there's all sorts of interesting books there that you won't see elsewhere. That's an interesting model. And then Books A Million now has, they have a spin-off chain called Second and Charles, which mm -hmm. is used, which is does very well for them. You just don't want to get into that, I guess. We do something really beautiful. So the, the, my favorite thing that we've done, so I have too much respect for the profession of used book selling to think I can just like wander Yeah, mm -hmm. It takes mm -hmm. mastery, years and years to master. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I was recently on a panel of, there are three booksellers whom I revere, Jack Sella, uh, Doug Wilson and Brad Jonas. Brad is the owner of Pels in Chicago, mm. which is the first Pels. Yeah. Um, and Doug Wilson apprenticed, apprenticed, can we do this? Apprenticed with uh, yeah. Joseph O'Gara, uh, and they ran O'Gara and Wilson for years. It's still going. And he talks about what the ap that apprenticeship looks like. I was just interviewing Heather O'Donnell, who, who apprenticed with Bowman's here mm -hmm. in New York. Yeah. And as you say, so yeah. I'm not, not going to dilettante my way into that. That's, no, that's not no. doing that. That's but here's something beautiful respect. that we do. So we have so many people, uh, longtime shareholders who just love the store. And, you know, book collections. I have 5,000 books in my personal collection. And for a long time, I was like so particular about what I, how I mark them and what I put in them. And I'm like, someone someday had this imaginary person that would come and, you know, find meaning in, in the collection and obviously no one's going to do that but when we have uh, you know folks that pass away and they want to pass their collection along and you know there's no value to it we unless they're very very specialized and they in most collections that's not why if no. you use it if you yes. actually engage it and so i've had a number of uh members that have uh, widows or widowers brought in the the libraries, including three, four, five thousand volume libraries, and I go through them, and we throw them on the shelf, and it's just to pay what you want. 
model where we say, look, these are books that are priceless. They're books that you've engaged with, that others have engaged with. We want them to find readers. Take them for a quarter, take wow. them for a hundred dollars. Now I'm going to go. It's really, it's a Are you, cool, are you it's a continuing thing. to do that? Yeah, yeah, we have a bunch that we just took in. How, how, um, many, how many shelves worth of that? It's just like we have a front row. Uh, of how many? Five bookcases. That's, yeah, that's and it's just whenever they come in, and if they don't come in, then we throw clearance or remainders on there. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's almost like it's a lost leader, special. isn't it? It's, it's uh, not even. It's, it would it's, get it would get a lot of collectors coming in, though. Well, so this is the thing: we don't want people coming in with their little finger scanners, you know, actually oh, book dealers coming in. Yeah, I don't know if they're trying to make a living, uh, but I, you yeah, know, they don't give a shit about books. Right. Depends. Well, if they've got these scanners, they don't. Right, right, right. No, I, of course. I, look, I everyone that's trying to make it in the book world, I respect. It's a really tough, tough business. But the fact is, we're not looking for them to be resold or for people to... And mm -hmm. I actually, frankly, I go through and I pull out the stuff that I think has value yeah. and yeah. Um, either give it to people that I think will enjoy it. I just want people to read the books, yeah. you know, and, and find meaning in the fact that these were well-loved books and well-loved collections and thoughtful collections. And some of them I don't even know. I actually, this is the wallet that I use, which is just like not even a particularly interesting wallet. It was part of one of the book collections. A gentleman named Patrick Kelleher, he was, uh, uh, and I just like felt like a deep connection to him after uh. going to, I felt, felt like I knew him. Uh, mm -hmm. I never met him before. Uh, and I walk around with this wallet. It's ridiculous. It's like but so But your collections are who you are, you know, in a, in a way. Or who they? you want to be. And yeah. who you want to yes. be. Yes. Some combo. Yeah. Who you once yeah. were. Some <laughs> you combo. sadly are and who you want to be. Yeah. I just uh, want to make a, a, a point about how good this bookstore is. Because when I came in to, to come downstairs to, to meet you, I, I saw that you had uh, Harold Bloom's uh, yeah. um, Anxiety of Influence. Mm -hmm. And uh, yesterday, my daughter had emailed me just saying that she figured she should probably go and pick up a copy mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. just to pay him respect. Oh, that's, that's so nice, young people coming to him. But, mm. but here you are anticipating that. Mm. It, it's not such a big... It's just something that I noticed that was when someone important dies, you've got their books mm -hmm. out. But, yeah. but he still, taught, he taught me so much when I was young, when I was like nineteen, twenty, and like, what a wonderful, what a wonderful entree into the world of criticism uh, he I, was. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I want, I want to jump on this. Bloom. No, well, Bloom on Wallace Stevens is the choice. No, you. I want to talk about what you've done, Sarah. I've, just, I've been talking and talking. Well, I just want to... Dying of boredom with my own voice. And I'm also, my stomach is growling so much, I'm worried you can hear it in the recording. Can you? Probably. Good, we're going to stop. This, picks, <laughs> this so picks up under. everything, yeah. Here's what I want to acknowledge. So in 1961, uh, you know, 17 seminary students came together and built this established a store in over 40 years it was built up by owners and I have been stewarding it for five years. I have no idea. You, you came over after the move. I have no mm. idea how you build something like this and I am in awe of not just building mm. it from scratch uh, but doing it in this fucking city. Mm. Like I have no idea. But how this. You you're talking the now about, store. about the Sarah's store. store. Yeah, how do you yeah. build it from scratch? It's real easy to walk in and not be the owner, not have to think about every detail, not have to build it from scratch. I mm. had 50 years of institutional memory mm. and I inherited stacks. I had 100,000 mm. books. Uh, you built it and you're mm. continuing to build it and you're building a model that is really exciting. And I don't. Um, can I don't you know give us that? The, yeah, can you give us that? That'd be great. Give me, give you how I, I mean, an answer to his question. Oh, I, was I mean, it was like when I opened the store, it was so bad. 
It was terrible because I didn't. I mean, I th I meant to go through and choose every book individually, but we stock. You know, at that at this point, I think we have around sixty. We have sixty thousand. At that point, we probably had around forty, forty-five thousand. And it sounds doable, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Can actually build that stuff from scratch. And so I used wholesalers promised me that they had the lists of what was like kind of basic core stock lists and the garbage they sent me was such a bad store and my own vision wasn't honed at all then um, you must have I'm learned so something from your mother well in fact a lot of things I took from my mother I look back at and I'm mortified I mean my mother did do sidelines and I opened the store doing sidelines and I look back at that you mean I, like chapters does with pillows and such I, would, I didn't have pillows I, may, I don't think I had candles, but it was on that spectrum, and that's something that now I, I mean, I'm such a purist, I can't imagine allowing such a thing in my store, and but yet it keeps, it keeps that's indigo how I open. open without well, it. Well, Indigo's a very specific kind of store. I mean, it really is a gift store as well. It's very, they, she, did, she kind of did research and realized that most book buyers are women. And she really doubled down on that. She's pictures of herself all over the store. It's like, mm -hmm. some, like she's, and on the books too. Yeah, so it's almost more like a Martha Stewart model mm -hmm. of book mm -hmm. selling, which yeah. she's done very well, bless her. But mm -hmm. it's not, it's, mm -hmm. it's not my model yeah. at all. Your um, model is. I, d well, I think we went into that before. Um, I wasn't listening. Could, could do it again. <laughs> well, I was just saying that my model is it's a, this is a store that it takes years to really learn how to use. I mean, it's, it doesn't offer itself on the surface, but as you as you become a deeper, better reader, the store will continue to support you as you travel through the many kind of entrees that it makes into the world of books. And a store that has much more more tables, more sidelines, is a much easier store to engage with. I was I brought this up, Jeff, in reference to being. This neighborhood, since I opened the store, has become a tourist neighborhood, mm -hmm. and I don't have a tourist store because my store is not, it's not really that, it, it's, you can engage with it on the surface level. We do have the best sellers. Unlike, Paul, we have a mutual friend who won't even put best sellers, Paul Yamazaki, won't even put best sellers in City Lights, because he's <laughs> That's like, because right, I said, I said, how many, I remember because my husband did the Jay-Z book, and I said, how many did you sell the Jay-Z book? And he said, oh, we didn't sell it. I said, you didn't sell it? And he said, no, you can get that book anywhere. I have this many. <laughs> good. I have go to a supermarket and get that. Right. Yeah. And he feels like his entire role is to educate the public, so to give them things they already know about is yeah. failing in his mission as education. It's brilliant. Wow. It is brilliant. Um, so you they own their building, though. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's brilliant too. Yeah, right. that's however true. you can make I mean, it work, whatever the racket is. I think, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So you um, grow with your readers, that, or you help the reader to grow. I mean, the idea is, I mean, it's that there are many paths through the vast history of books, and okay. I mean, we certainly don't have all of them bushwhacked, but we try and bushwhack as many as we possibly can for people to get through, and. So I guess that is my model now, whereas I did start with a much more kind of immediately friendly, generous model um, when I opened. And I, I mean, I th it's, we're now friendly in a different, deeper, yeah. longer way. But, um, but yeah, but it is hard being, it is hard being stuck in a, a increase in what is increasingly a tourist neighborhood because it's become, I mean, readers don't want to brave the crowds of tourists on the weekend outside the sidewalk. It's, it's. And our sales are down in the last couple of years, mm. not dramatically, just by like a f one or two percent. But it's, and I and I do believe a, a lot of that is um, because our neighborhood has become somewhat off-putting to readers. Where it's we weird. You got so much pedestrian traffic, which is what most booksellers die for, and yet it's not the right kind of pedestrian well, traffic. What's that curve? That the curve in economics. From Ferris Bueller. Pareto optimum. No. Okay. 
Remember that, that's Ryan a joke Ryan. in Ferris Bueller. He's like, anyone, anyone, the blah, blah, blah curve. Laugher. Yes, the laugher curve. It's like the laugher curve. <laughs> it's not like more and more and more foot traffic eventually right. just yeah. brings more and more yeah. uh, money. Like I could put a bookstore <laughs> I could put a bookstore in Times Square. It would be a disaster. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it would yeah. be a complete right. disaster. I'd, l I'd be lucky to sell Jay-Z. Right. I know you're getting hungry. Can we just... I've uh, gotten hungry. You've gotten hungry? So that's already there? Uh, yeah, I can tell you're a little snippier than you were when we first snippy. met. Snippy? Snippy? Yeah, no. Saskatoon. Can you just finish on Saskatoon? <laughs> I've got nothing really to say about Saskatoon. I'm so sorry. I, oh, that okay. is sort of snippy, but I really don't. I lived sorry, did, I didn't mean <laughs> I to offend you. Did, no, I, I, did I offend you by calling you that? No, I'm, I'm almost impossible to offend. But, okay. like, but it's no, but I mean, when people, when people are hungry, they do get snippy. That's no, just but honestly, I lived in Saskatoon for six months, and I really, I don't know what to say. I didn't have a single friend when I was there, so I didn't okay. really... But my right. mother had just opened a bookstore yeah. and I had just moved back from I just had a horrible breakup in Germany I kind of showed up on my parents doorstep and I I mean I think I showed up weeping on my parents doorstep oh. and I was 21 years old 22 years old and they said why don't you go to Saskatoon and run this store that we've just opened so I opened that store and I as I said I didn't have a single friend and which is it's a, it's a rare thing to not have a single friend in it how do you manage I managed it somehow failed to make a single friend in my entire time in Saskatoon and I just worked and worked and worked getting that store going. And that store is still, my parents have since retired, but that store is still doing well. Yeah. And even though I didn't make a single friend there, when I left, there was like a going away party for me and everyone I'd ever met in Saskatoon, like everyone I'd ever met in Saskatoon came to my going away party. It was beautiful. It was very loving, but, but anyhow. I was yeah, so great. alone. I remember just going at night. I remember like sitting on a swing at a swing set and swinging and just thinking, geez, I don't know anyone I could possibly see. So that would be all I have to say about Saskatoon. I don't know how interesting that is from a no, selling perspective. Not a it's not a nice uh, memory, I'm sorry. Well, it's, it's not a bad no. memory. It's just it's strange moving to a small town. It's it's yeah. a strange thing. It's something that it's, it's sort of played up in movies and TV. You move to a small town and like immediately, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a motley crew <laughs> of local eccentrics takes you in and you become the big city, or I guess I wasn't a big city person back then. I was from Winnipeg. You know, which was actually technically from Saskatoon standards, yeah. I was rolling in pretty urban, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, you become the urban representative and this motley crew. That did not happen to me. Okay, but it, but yeah. Anyway. Well, I'll let you get to lunch. Uh, thank you uh, very much for agreeing to uh, share your wisdom with me, both of you. Thanks for doing this. And sorry again for not emailing you back. Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I've been speaking to Sarah McNally, who is the president owner owner is even better yeah owner of we don't have a president i sign myself as a member or managing member mm -hmm. i don't think like we don't have the corporate structure with the president okay. but i don't know of uh, mcnally jackson books in new york city and jeff deutsch who is a shopkeep he's <laughs> good no he's not <laughs> You look at his email signature. I'm director. Director. Director of the seminary. Seminary co-op bookstore. Co-op bookstore that famed Fifty Seventh. There's a bookstore called Fifty Seventh Street Books. Yeah, that's us. We have two stores. Oh, you do. Oh, that's you as well. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So you're. In, it's sort of you go yeah. down the stairs into the. It's the most charming space. Yeah. Have to come visit. It's come very visit. far, Chicago. Oh, it's not that far. 
We've discussed this. You'll you'll fly over the Atlantic. You're deceiving the world here a little bit. You've got these two brands here. So if you don't like, if I'm pissed off with your one store and go to the other, I'm still actually (laughs) spending money with you. (laughs) That's true. We do very different things. You don't come clean on that, really, do you? Of course we do. It's well, you oh, just yeah. did, didn't you? But it's still. That's a game of journalism. Anyway, next time when you're in Chicago, go to both and go to all seven. Yeah. Well, seven. The seventh is opening now. That's amazing. In New York City. Stationery stores. That's amazing. Thanks. I'm I'm definitely going to check out the stationery store too. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Thanks again.